Y'all talking about me before I even get up here? <clears throat> it's good to see you guys today. Um, you know, I'm excited about Second Peter because I know First Peter was great, and it was kind of a challenge for us. It was kind of in our face, right? And there was a lot of criticism that we were able to see for the American church, right, as we go through First Peter and look at the persecution they were going through. But now as we're going to Second Peter, it's more of a pep talk. It's an encouragement. And uh, so we, 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 for those of you that weren't here for, for the first one of last week, the name of the series is called Remember These Things. And this is week, two, or week three, uh, and this week I've called this, you need to remember to add to your faith. So in the way of, an, in the way of introduction, like what if I told you that God says it's okay for everyone at Grace Life just to indulge the flesh in anything you want for the next 30 days. Eat whatever you want, drink whatever you want, whenever, wherever. Don't worry about any health repercussions. They aren't important for the next 30 days. Don't worry about sexual purity or integrity or any biblical righteousness for 30 days. None of that matters. It's a free-for-all. There's no spiritual or earthly consequences. Yes, you still believe in Jesus, but for the next 30 days, all of us as a church family, we can just live however we want. Let's go. You ready? Let's do the 30-day immorality challenge together as a church right now. <laughs> no. Good, good answer. See, likely, if you are a follower of Jesus, you would feel uneasy about taking anyone up on an offer like that, Right? Even if they could guarantee you there are no consequences, you know that this is a bad idea. <clears throat> you know that it would not be good for your faith or your connection with Heavenly Dad or His church. It would impact you physically, perhaps maybe even lasting implications on your body for years, even decades, if we just did whatever we wanted for 30 days. <clears throat> you would also fear the devastation spiritually, emotionally, Financially, and what about your relationships? What damage would it do on those? Think about that for a moment. And even with a promise of no spiritual or earthly consequences, a follower of Jesus, for some reason, naturally will be repulsed by this idea and should be. What would be the impact if we did, however, the opposite? For 30 days, we intentionally pursued with as much diligence as we could muster, a list of things that would be promised to make our faith stronger. Does that appeal to you more than the other option? If it does, stay tuned because that's what today's passage is all about. And our passage today is from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5-11. through 11. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement or to add to your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, Self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these knowledge, these, these qualities, is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be even more diligent to confirm your calling and your election. 
For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's look at the history of today's passage. I want to talk about neglected faith. So this is what's going on historically right now. Bad teachers are taking over everywhere. For almost three decades before this, apostles and their representatives have taught what Jesus did about the gospel, about how followers of Jesus are to live their lives. And three and a half decades later, there's only a handful of apostles left. Most of them have been martyred or they've died. Unfortunately, hundreds of false teachers have emerged globally throughout the church. With only a handful of apostles left, these false teachers now become the dominant voice, the dominant influence, corrupting the early church orthodoxy. Apostolic teaching became the minority opinion in many who call themselves Christians within the church. Many in the church have embraced this false teaching heterodoxy that we learned about in the last two weeks. This ubiquitous message that is being heard all throughout the church is this. This world is simply a mirage. Only the spiritual world matters. You can live however you want. We got a little ring there, Mike. You can look at that. What's happening is these false teachers and anyone who follows them openly scoff at anyone who is foolish enough to embrace apostolic teaching. Teaching that says you're supposed to live differently than this world. <clears throat> You can be a follower of Jesus without that silly burden of righteousness or that stupid, costly priesthood that Peter's always talking about. You can return to your previous lives. The lifestyle the rest of the world sees as normal and acceptable can be normal and acceptable to you as well. Things like virtue, integrity, sexual purity, self-control, loving and serving others, don't worry about that stuff. Sexual impurity, indulgence, debauchery, personal physical pleasure. Enjoy it all to the fullest degree. Heaven will be here soon enough. And this priesthood nonsense, proclamation, integrity, industry, that's completely unnecessary. Pfft, forget it. Live your life the way you want to. And as a result, what we see happening is we see conflicting lifestyles within the church. See, whenever God's people are consistently exposed to weak or false teaching, there will always be damaging consequences. And it was everywhere. As a matter of fact, Paul had to address this same problem in the book of Romans that he wrote to that church in that city as well. It was in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? See, the gift of faith must inspire this undeniable transformation, this new lifestyle, this new change, this courage to abandon immorality and selfishness. Remember, we learned about this in week two, the Spirit of God, the divine nature now dwells within them, and they have this divine nature. They've experienced God's grace. It's powerful transformation. They cannot... Even if they wanted to, even if they were told it was okay, true followers of Jesus cannot love the world the way they used to love it. Now, many claiming to be followers of Jesus began to embrace this moral lifestyle that these false teachers were pushing. 
And now the ones who do follow Christ are surrounded by this lifestyle within the church and outside of it. Imagine, if you would, the conflict with the majority that embraced this misguided, immoral life the true believers had left behind. People are scoffing at them, and there's confusion now. There's isolation. There's discouragement. Were the apostles wrong? Are we just silly religious zealots? Is this burden, this effort to live righteous, a waste of our time? You know what they need? They need to be reminded what real faith looks like and how they can withstand this onslaught of false teaching, which brings us to our spiritual section today titled Nourish Your Faith. So what Peter does is he brilliant. This is, again, this, this makes my case that while Paul may have been the most educated disciple, Peter is the most brilliant. Look what he says. He reminds them about their transformation and how to keep faith strong against these false teachers. And there's a Greek word that is in this passage that I want you to see. Epicurigio. It means, it's a verb, it's an action word, it means that you add nourishment. That's why it says supplement your faith, to add nourishment to your faith, to strengthen your faith, to feed it, to grow it. It's a list of two things, the unavoidable results of the gift of faith, a list of things to look for, and it's also the same thing, is also a list of things that you need to, as a follower of Jesus, lean into, embrace, and practice, and seek. When everyone else around you seeks out ways to fulfill the flesh and fulfill only their earthly dreams, you, as a child of God, need to learn what it means to seek out the treasures of the gift of faith. Look for them. And in fact, as you look for them, practice them. Actively pursue this list and add them to your faith. Use them to feed your faith. They will, in fact, make your faith stronger. So let's look at the list. He says the first thing you got to do is you got to take your faith and add virtue to it. He says, remember to add to your faith righteous living, virtuous Christ-likeness, things like sexual purity, integrity in business, honesty, treating other people with dignity. Question for you, church, does your faith give you a desire for virtue, to follow Jesus' commands? Look, we aren't perfect, but we know what we want to be, right? If this is your faith, be encouraged, because your faith is real. And then he says to add to your virtue knowledge. Remember, to add to, an add to your faith an appetite to learn our Savior's teachings, to learn our Savior's commands? Does your desire for virtue, which comes from your faith, create a hunger to know what Jesus teaches about these Christian virtues? Do you want to know? Do you want to know enough about the teachings of Jesus to be virtuous? If you do, be encouraged. It's, a, it's another sign that your faith is real. But then he says to add to your knowledge... See how it's a pattern. Add to your knowledge this thing called self-control. Illustration. We have these delicious apple fritters for these donuts that we serve. They are so good. And every Sunday, I'm very self-controlled. I only break off like a small bite of one. Some of you have eaten that other thing because I go out there and they're gone. So somebody doesn't care that I've 
This morning I took a bite, or a piece, not a bite. I went back and took another piece. Went back for a third piece. And then I just went back and ate the whole thing. No self-control. But here's the thing. When you have knowledge and you learn about the commands and teachings of Jesus, you have to remember to discipline yourself to follow them. That's what self-control is. So, so does knowledge of the teachings of Jesus result in an active desire for obedience? Self-control to resist the temptations of the world like apple fritters? Is there evidence that once you have this faith, which leads to virtue, which leads to knowledge, is there evidence that you have self-control, obedience to resist the temptations of the world? Evidence that you are no longer a slave to the desires of the flesh? If that is the case, be encouraged. It's another great sign that your faith is real. But then he says, add to self-control stability or reliability. Remember... Self-control will make you a stable, reliable member of God's family. See, a disciplined follower of Jesus won't be unreliable, undependable, irresponsible. They are trustworthy. They are around, and you can count on them. You know where they're going to be, when they're going to be there. Is your self-control as you pursue the things that Jesus commands, is it creating stability in your life at home? in the church, in your business or at work? Are you, in fact, a trustworthy, durable, reliable part of God's family? Can people count on you? If they can, be encouraged. Your faith is real. Then he says, add to stability reverence. Remember to have a humble, grateful reverence for how your Savior has transformed you and made you stable. I love how Paul puts this in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. He says, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Does your self-control result in arrogance, like I've accomplished so much, or are you gratefully, worshipfully humble for how Jesus has transformed your life? If your faith, which has produced virtue, which has produced knowledge, which has produced self-control, which has pr produced stability, which has produced reverence, I bet you didn't think I could go through all that list, did you? I just did. <laughs> If it produces all those things and it turns into grateful, humble, worshipful reverence for God, be encouraged. Your faith is real. Then he says, add to your reverence brotherly affection. Remember to love those who have the same humble, reverent worship for God that you do. Remember our study on the letters of John in chapter 3, verse 14, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Do you have affection for those around you who revere Jesus as you do? Do you love your church family? If you do, be encouraged. Your faith is real. 
And then he says, add to brotherly affection love. He goes even further with the love thing. Remember to seek to be a part of a family of royal priests that we learned about in 1 Peter. A family of royal priests who love the world. The one around us through patience, benevolence, even when they want to fight over parking spaces. Remember that. That example in 1 Peter. Charity, goodwill, service, sacrifice. A community of believers with not just only affection for one another, but these are believers who, as they love one another, will display a surprising love to all of those around us. We will be part of, and if you have the gift of faith, this will happen. It's not negotiable. You will be a part of a family of priests who together proclaim, together live with integrity, and together are industrious. Are you an active royal priest? Well, be encouraged, because if you are, your faith is real. So let's look at the personal section. I've entitled this, Verify Your Faith. This was the sermon preview this week. For faith to protect you from sinful desire, you must remember to actively nourish it daily. You know, Paul says something in here, though, about blind faith. You ever heard that phrase, blind faith? Here's what he says in verse 9. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind. Have you ever heard that phrase, blind faith? The popular idea is the idea that this is believing without evidence. Oh, that's just blind faith. Some people say, well, I have blind faith in Jesus. Well, actually, you don't need blind faith to believe in Jesus. I mean, we've talked about that in here uh, archaeologically, scientifically, historically, prophetically. It's an amazing faith that we have that is so verifiable with all these outside sources. So that's not really a description of our faith. Some describe Christianity that way, but in reality, our Christianity is far from it. There is plenty of evidence, but the most important evidence of our faith is this list. I mean, that's how Peter describes faith. Without these qualities is blind faith. If these things are absent, your faith is blind. People who claim, now listen carefully, people who claim to follow Jesus but live just like the rest of the world or neglect these other qualities. They are nearsighted. They are unable to see past this life. And the life's, this life's demands dominate their schedule, their agenda, their priorities, their resources. They're so blind, they have no understanding of real spiritual truth, no vision for the kingdom of God and their role within it. And it's ironic, right? Because those people who think they have been enlightened the most, in fact, are the ones that have blind faith. But if you say you believe in Jesus and you don't pursue these things, well, you have blind faith as well. If you have a life that pursues vice instead of virtue, a life that pursues ignorance instead of knowledge, you don't want to really waste your time learning Scripture, a life that pursues self-indulgence instead of self-control, that's blind faith. A life that characterizes unreliability instead of stability, 
A life that has disregard for God instead of worshipful, grateful, humble reverence, that's blind faith. Bitterness instead of brotherly love, greed and living for yourself instead of love for others, that too is blind faith. <clears throat> Saying you have faith without any evidence, that is actually blind faith. It is weak faith, and it is faith that won't hold up against false teaching or anything the world brings at you. It is not even real faith. But this is what faith should be. It should be diligent. Matter of fact, because of the divine nature within us, it will be diligent. Faith is not fire insurance. <laughs> faith is transformation. Look what he says in this verse. He says, be even more diligent to confirm your calling and election. Now, some may see this list. Some of you, oh man, this list is overwhelming. Well, here's the good news. The fact that you see this list as overwhelming is an excellent sign that your faith is real. See, I would be more concerned with someone who looks at this list and says, eh, no big deal, or eh, I'll get to it one day, or dude, no problem, I got this. I'd be more concerned with them than I am with those of you to look at this list and say, wow, I got work to do. See, and you're going to see this in just a minute, it's beautiful. It's a good thing if there's a little apprehension and a little fear over whether or not your faith is real. But the answer isn't to worry. The answer to face that fear is action. So to ease your fear, remember what Peter taught us last week right before this list about divine nature? Do you guys remember that? He says this in 2 Peter chapter 1. Uh, did I miss it? All right, I'll just read it to you. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 3, he says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and his own excellence. Divine power that we become partakers of. True faith will produce these qualities, this list, they are, in fact, a direct result of the divine nature that we have become partakers of. Therefore, you can calm your fears. Look what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. There's the divine nature, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So today... If you are concerned about the strength of your faith, if you are concerned about your connection to the Father, if you are in any way apprehensive or fearful that things of this world have or may pull you away from your Jesus and your church family, in reality, that apprehension, that discontent can be a beautiful thing. Your concern is evidence of your enlightenment to see beyond your own little world into your role into the kingdom of God. And to overcome these fears, here's what Peter says you must do. You have to lean into these qualities, find comfort in their presence, look for them. They are, in fact, the natural result of your faith. They are evidence of this new nature, this new identity. So remember to keep 
adding them to your faith every day. Remember to supplement your faith with these things, to pursue them, to practice them as often as you can. Look for them. Analyze your life. Find out, is there knowledge seeking? Is there virtue? Is there self-control? Is there stability? Is there reverence? Is there brotherly affection? Is there love for the world? Am I a royal priest together with my church family? Virtue, desire, knowledge, self-control, stability, worshipful reverence, brotherly love, affection, love for others. Develop the discipline to spot them in your life and maybe even in the lives of others around you so you can be encouraged by their faith. And then when you see them, humbly celebrate them. Thank Heavenly Dad that he's put them into your life through faith. For it is, according to Paul, God who is working in you. And these things are undeniable evidence of his hand in your life. And you know what will happen? This is beautiful. When you begin to practice these things and lean into these things, you will begin to experience what every believer wants. Joy. And what is joy? The supernatural satisfaction with the presence of God over anything else. This will confirm your faith. This will confirm your calling. And so when the rest of the world is relentlessly pursuing their agenda, their hopes, their dreams, their pleasures of now, you can sit back and say, that's not bad, but I am fully satisfied with God's presence over anything else. And if you remember to add these things to your faith and cherish them, and lean into this evidence of transformation, you will begin to understand, wow, that's what the divine nature is all about. Heavenly Dad, we ask that you would help us, please, to remember these things. Lord, we want virtue, we want knowledge, we want self-control, we want stability, we want humble, reverent worship. We want brotherly affection. We want love. We want these things. We also know that we struggle with them. And we're a little bit concerned sometimes with how they might be absent. And so, Father, in that way, we humbly turn to you and say, please evidence these things in our life. Give us the wisdom, the discernment, the desire to lean into them, to work them out. Lord, we confess to you, sometimes we're a little bit apprehensive. There's a little bit of nervousness. Lord, help us see that even that nervousness shows that we don't have blind faith, that we have faith that is looking for evidence. And we ask by your word and by our fellowship together as brothers and sisters in Christ that you would make that evidence visible to all. Help us to remember these things. In Jesus' name. Amen. We love you guys. Practice these things this week. We'll see you next week for week four.